Today we're going to do a little history lesson so that we can better understand how unique and awesome this country is so we know what we're standing to protect. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Alrighty, guys, today we're going to jump right in and hopefully come away with a little bit of a better understanding as to what has kind of fired me up <laughs> to even get this this podcast started and start to um, just share perspective and information with people because I have not always been as political as maybe I am right now. I've always been, I think, in the know, my husband much more so, and I want to bring him into this podcast to kind of share his perspective because he's been paying attention, very close attention, for about 20 years from his mid-teens. Um, he's been very um, politically minded and very um, historically aware. He knows all the countries and all the leaders of all the countries. Um, he knows all the wars, who won, how it went, why it was happening. So he's such a great resource and has been such a great resource for me. But I recently have become super engaged, as I kind of shared in my very first podcast, because of this last election. And again, it's not because I was somebody who was, you know, super out front in support of Trump. Um, but I, I watched what happened in our country over the last couple of years. And I watched how powerful the media and social media has become. And I watched the deception start to play out very obviously in front of our eyes. And then I started to see things. I feel like we've come across these thresholds this past year, 18 months, where things have never been the same after we've crossed over that threshold. And generally, I think we maybe cross over one of those thresholds once or twice in our lifetime. Like my mom's generation, everybody remembers where they were when uh, JFK was shot, for example, right? That was a threshold where once they crossed over that, everything kind of felt different, right? Nothing ever was really like that just existed and you couldn't unknow it. You couldn't change it. Couldn't go back to how things were before it. And then, of course, in my generation, I thought that was going to be September 11th. <laughs> Um, and that was in a lot of ways for, uh, you know, the, the first part of my life, if you will, um, everything has been different after September 11th, right? You used to be able to go up to the gate of an air of a, at the airport and greet your family. And now we can, we can't do that. We've never gone back. Um, security has been stricter in traveling and, you know, our homeland security didn't exist before September 11th and now does. We went to war on terror, <laughs> you know, went to war on this undefinable thing that has spanned over 20 years in multiple countries. So things were never the same after 2011 or uh, September 11th, 2001. And now over the course of the year, we've kind of crossed over these thresholds in rapid succession. So the first one I would say was early March. I believe it was March 8th. I feel like the day that 
um, Trump decided to close the borders um, and not allow for other countries to fly into the U.S. kind of marked the beginning of the pandemic in the United States, right? That was when it was happening in China. It was happening in Europe. We were watching Italy. And then all of a sudden it became real for us on that day. And things have never been the same after that day, right? And who's to say if it will ever truly go back to the way that it was before that. So that was kind of day one. And then we had the next really marker day for me was November 3rd, was the election and what transpired that day. And, you know, I feel like everything has kind of shifted after that day and nothing has really gone back to the way that it was. I, I know that this might be more true for some people than it is for other people, but it most certainly is for me. I have become just obsessed with understanding our government, understanding what went wrong that day, um, understanding where the loopholes are in the integrity of our voting system and understanding where we need to fix those things and then watching us attempt to fix those things and watching the radical reaction. So that was a big day. And then of course, January 20th felt like another big day. Oh, I'm skipping a big one. January 6th, January 6th, um, huge day, huge day. Uh, that will be a marker in our history, um, certainly a marker in my life, but a huge marker in our history forevermore. Um, that'll be in the history books. And I want to unpack that a little bit here in just a second. But then, of course, yeah, January 20th, where we walked into a, um, in my opinion, a very clear and obvious illegitimate present presidency. So there's been a succession of these kind of thresholds that we've crossed over that it's like, okay, and things are a lot different. I mean, I remember November 1st, like thinking, oh my gosh, the election's in a couple days. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? What's going to go down? And then feeling just that pit in my stomach waking up on November 4th, not because I was so married to the idea of Trump winning. That really wasn't it at all. But just because I knew, like I knew, like I knew this is not right. This something is amiss here. And of course, that stretched over a number of weeks. We've never had an election that wasn't announced on election day. And, you know, it actually was became an election week and then an election month and then all the way up to the January 6th and then even into the inauguration day. Still today, litigation is happening right now over the 2020 election. It is not over, you guys. There's still information being revealed. I just read this really lengthy article yesterday about um, some evidence that's being revealed and presented in court in Michigan. This is happening still. There's still litigation. There's still subpoenas out in Arizona that are being not complied with uh, by the... Um, uh, oh, the whoever is supposed to be, I can't even think of what they're called, um, that are supposed to be giving forth these 2 million plus ballots in Arizona to be uh, evaluated and forensically audited and they're not complying with the subpoena. So there is still ongoing litigation. It's still being sorted out and actually more and more evidence is being revealed that things are not what we suspected that they were. So the reason why I want to talk about this today is I did something I've never done a couple of days ago, and I uh, wrote to a senator who was not my own senator, which is unusual, right? I've written to my own senator a couple of times here in Tennessee, um, but I wrote actually to Joe Manchin, and I've told you guys to do that in the past, and I did that this week. Um, I am more and more encouraged by this man. He's a senator out of um, West Virginia. 
And kind of ironically for me, he's a Democrat. And I'm not a Democrat. I'm a libertarian. I've said that many times before. I'm not a Republican. Um, but I am a conservative. So for me to feel like there is so much hope and um, power and integrity lined up with this this Democratic senator out of West Virginia, Joe Manchin, is kind of a funny thing. I never really thought that's where my brain would be and that I would truly be. I, I wrote, I've written a number of times to my senator um, asking for things and, and, you know, saying, please support this bill or what have you. But I've never written just to say thank you for having integrity. Thank you for doing the right thing when it's hard to do. Thank you for standing up for something that it's going to be challenging for you to do. And I did that. I did that this past week with Joe Manchin. I had to email him and tell him, thank you. I appreciate that you're doing hard things. I appreciate that you're standing up to your own party. And I appreciate, even though I'm watching you be absolutely torn to shreds by the media, unfortunately, for what you're doing, I appreciate as a mom and a wife and a person, not even one of your constituents, you're, I'm, I don't live in the state that you represent, but I'm in the country that you represent and you're a senator. And so you carry the weight of my voice also. And I want to say thank you. So if at the end of this, if that is if this stirs your heart, I would so encourage you to write to him. I would so encourage you to write to him because he is pushing the pause button in a time where things are going at rapid pace, at rapid speed. Um, and our constitution was designed as a slow moving document. In order to go through due process in our constitution, it takes time. That's why we have four-year presidencies. That's why we have longer-term senates. Uh, senators have a term of six years. So we have these longer terms because there are there. it takes time to debate and discuss and evaluate and weigh the pros and cons of making laws. That's what our, um, our you know, House and Senate are doing. They're creating laws for our country and laws are binding for, you know, it's really hard to undo a law. So if we're going to put more government restriction in place, if we're going to put a law in place, we need to weigh the pros and cons. We need to really discuss it and debate it the exact same way that our founding fathers did when they were constructing the constitution. This, the debate went on for years. There was lots of um, back and forth and amending and discussing and should we do this and what are the arguments against that and this is all kind of transpires through the Federalist Papers which I also encourage you to read if you haven't or if you haven't recently I actually need to read them again myself so I wanted to um, make a distinction and I wrote a blog about this and I, I penned it in the show notes here but there is um, we refer often to our country as a democracy and that is actually not accurate and I hear terms like our democracy is under attack and this is not a democracy and blah 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 and you guys this is not a democracy <laughs> the United States is not a democracy the, the United States is something different and better and that might I mean, there's elements of truth. So the United States is a constitutional republic, which is basically a better democracy, okay? Democracy is where the people vote, usually through elected representatives, on the decisions that our government is making, okay? So when you hear that definition, you're like, um, that sounds like what we've got going on here, right? That sounds like the United States. And yeah, that's true. Except for a constitutional republic 
adds to that definition. So it still says that the people of a country vote on the decisions of government through elected representatives usually, but there is a constitution that limits the power and overreach of government. So the elected officials have to operate within the confines of a document, in our case, the constitution. And there is also protections built in for minorities. Now, this is really important for an individual person in the country, right? This is what all of our amendments are, the Bill of Rights. This is, you know, our, our freedom of speech. And, and really what's great about the Bill of Rights and what is maybe not necessarily known is the Bill of Rights do not grant us rights. <laughs> so our rights are given to us by our creator. And you guys, there we have fewer rights than we think. We do not have, as an example, the right to a cell phone. That is not a right. Nope. There's a difference between rights and things we think we should have, but we do not have the right to a cell phone. This was something under Obama where everybody got us a free cell phone. It was because we, we have the right to access to a cell phone. We do not have the right to access to a cell phone. You guys, it's just not something that God gave us. Okay. But we do have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are our um, basic rights, and we can't have those infringed upon. So the Bill of Rights doesn't grant us rights. God grants us rights. The Bill of Rights protects the rights that were given to us by our Creator from our elected government, okay? That's what the Bill of Rights does, is it's protecting us. It's limiting the government from infringing upon our individual rights. This is amazing. This is the beautiful thing of our Constitution is it is effective in giving us boundaries as a country, but it also is giving government boundaries against the individual of that country. So cool, okay? But the other thing that the Constitution does is it gives us equal representation as states. So in order for us to be the United States, the it's important to remember that the states created the federal government. It did not go the other way around. The federal government did not assign us statehood. <laughs> the states or colonies were the original um, governing bodies and the colonies wanted their sovereignty from one another. They actually liked having, it's working for us over here you know, in our colony over here. And whatever's going on over there is working for you in that colony. And we don't want what's going on, you know, what's working for you over there may not be what works for us over here. And so there was some nervousness about coming together as united colonies and then states because there was that fear of losing the sovereignty of a state and the state government and the state's right to decide what's best for that area. Because you guys, I mean, look at the dynamic landscape of our country. It's so cool to go, we can be in the mountains. Like I, I'm from California. And so I could be in the mountains and on the beach in the same day, right? Such dynamic, such diversity in um, the landscape. There's a ton of farming in Northern California. And then there's basically only cities in Southern California, right? So you have such dynam dynamics, and that's just in one state. Then you have like Kansas versus California, right? Or New York versus North Dakota. There's such diversity. And in any given area of the country, things are going to be different and work different. And, have, and a state is going to have, a state like North Dakota, let's say, is going to have different priorities than a state like New York, okay? 
So when you come together as United States, the Constitution grants us the sovereignty of keeping our um, our state sovereignty and then also allows for certain governance to be given to the federal government so that things like, you know, the police or things like our military, right? It would be um, hard for each state to try to come up with their own military and then it would be very disorganized. Obviously, we don't want to have like, you know, how it kind of worked in the Civil War where each state had their own military and they would just send, we're going to send all our guys in Alabama and Tennessee and Texas. They're all going to meet, you know, over here in Louisiana and they're going to get together and they're going to make a plan. That's a little less organized when we can grant that over um, to the federal government. So this was kind of the beautiful thing about coming together as United States. The Constitution gave us equal representation. So that's where the House of Representatives and the Senate is born out of this idea of um, of representing by population, which is what the House of Representatives do, but you, because you can't argue that California doesn't have more people in it than Kansas, okay? So of course, California should have a elevate a more representation because there's more people than Kansas did. That makes sense to me, totally, absolutely, for sure. We need to make sure that's the democracy part of our constitution. We need to know there's more people, so there's more of a majority of people in certain areas of our country. Those voices need to hold more weight than the same, um, you know, than a f- lesser amount of people in a state that would be smaller, right? So absolutely, that's where the House of Representatives comes into play. And we have about, I think it's 435, somewhere in there, um, House of Representative seats that are based on population. So California has a lot more representation than a state like Tennessee or Kansas, where the population is much less, or Wyoming, where it's, it's a whole lot of land and not a lot of people, right? Much fewer seats at the House of Representatives, which is that branch of government. But then we have the Senate. And this is where the sovereignty of statehood is protected in the Senate, because regardless of the size of your state, regardless of the population of your state, the sovereignty of your state is going to be protected against the bigger states with more weight to throw around by our Senate, which is considered the higher chamber of the House and the Senate, the two chambers of Congress. So every single state in the United States has two senators coming from it. That's where we get 100 senators, two for each state, 50 and 50, currently balanced, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, as it stands right this minute, okay? So the Senate is this really wonderful chamber that protects the minority states from mob rule, which is rampant in democracy, right? So here we go back to comparing democracy to constitutional republic. Democracy is mob rule, majority rule, whatever most people think, that's what we're going to do, okay? So that sounds great. And a lot of people are like, well, we should have that. That's how it should be. That is really easy to say if you're in the majority. (laughs) I would love for you to sit in the minority and go, yeah, whatever most people think we should do, we should do that, right? When you're sitting in the minority, you don't feel that way. When you're sitting in the majority, it makes sense to you. So if you're like, yeah, we should totally just go majority rule straight up. That's This is also another element of our electoral college and, and how that comes into play. That's a whole different podcast. But that's another thing that helps protect against majority rule, 
right? It helps balance out that power so not every single person that thinks one way is going to push the rest of the country around, right? So I'll tackle that in another in another podcast, but that's another kind of one of those things that balances out against straight up democracy, straight up majority rule. So again, if you think that's a good idea, let me give you an example. Let's say that we're trying to come up, we're in a neighborhood, we're in a neighborhood of democracy, right? Uh, where democracy is, is present in this neighborhood city council meeting, let's say that. And um, we're saying, you know what, we want to put a park in our neighborhood. Of course, everybody's into that idea. Yeah, absolutely. We need a park. Totally. We have a bunch more kids, you know, like we're looking at the data, it says more kids have been born over the last 10 years. Yep, we need a park for sure. So let's say that that city council then says, okay, the people whose names start with Z, there's fewer of those people, right? So, you know, we'll just, that's, there's going to be fewer people. Um, people whose names start with Z are going to need to donate their house and property to the city so that we can build parks in those locations. And that sounds good because there'll probably only be a handful of those people. And then they'll probably statistically be spread out across the city. And that'll be great. Those people just have to give over their property. And now let's say your friend Zara is sitting at the city council board meeting going, um, that doesn't sound great to me. No, I don't feel like that's fair for me to give up my, my property and my house to make it into a park. I was, uh, I was on board with the park idea until that part, until you said that I have to give up my house. Well, it's, this is democracy. It's a democracy. It's for the greater good. You got to give it up. I'm sorry. That's what most of us think. And so, you know, we're taking a vote here and most of us think that. So sorry, Zara, you're out of luck. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's democracy. That is a hypothetical of what could happen in a democracy. Here we're, we're seeing this same thing start to play out in a different way where most people feel, or I don't even know, honestly, I couldn't even tell you if most people feel like the vaccine is a good idea. I don't know. But it feels like the media tells us that most people, a huge, huge, great majority thinks everybody should be vaccinated. Okay, well, what about the people who can't be vaccinated? What about the people who are suffering from mental illness? What about the people who are doing their research and just want to exercise their liberty and don't want to take an experimental medication? What about those people? Well, too bad for you. In a democracy, too bad for you. In a constitutional republic, everybody gets equal representation. The minority is protected, you guys. This is a beautiful, beautiful experiment in government. (laughs) This is what makes America so different, so set apart, so remarkable, is the fact that we're not a democracy. This isn't about mob rule. This is about protection of the individual. This is about protection of the minority. This is about sovereignty of states' rights. This is about knowing that sometimes I am someone who moved from a certain place in the country to a different place in the country because the different place in the country represented more closely my values. Now, that's the beautiful thing about the United States is I'm free to do that. I can can move freely within the states. That's a protection of our constitution. And I I can make that choice. I have the liberty to choose where I live. And so do you. How cool is that, right? So that's protected. And we want to make sure that that continues to be protected. Now, again, if you are in the majority and if you disagree with me, I would just encourage you to put yourself for a hot minute in the seat of the minority for the minute. Just go, if the tables were turned, is this how I would feel? Is this what I would think? Because I wonder if you would. (laughs) And this is why I had 
to just champion Joe Manchin. This is why I had to go out of my way to send him a message and say thank you because he is a Democratic senator out of West Virginia. Again, he's not representing me. He's not in my state, but he's representing me because he's in my country. And he currently is standing in the way of full-on democracy taking over our constitutional republic because currently Democrats represent the House, the Senate, and the presidency, so they can have complete and full authority to go into majority mob rules. They can totally do it. And they can eliminate things like the filibuster, which I've talked about in other podcasts. They can eliminate that. So we've got our um, our legislature, which is Congress. We've got our, um, our presidency, which is another uh, branch of government. And then we've got our judiciary, which is our Supreme Court. These are our three branches of government. Another thing that um, Joe Biden just recently did is put together a commission to discuss, maybe we're going to add more judges. It's called court packing. Maybe we're going to add more judges to the Supreme Court. Maybe we're going to just put in like 12, 20, 30, who knows what they will decide. More judges, which of course dilutes. Right now we have nine Supreme Court justices, which makes it really cut and dry. Um, you know, it has to be more in favor. And these are all judges. So they actually rule over cases. They look at the evidence and they make a decision and they vote. So we're now bleeding into that judiciary branch of government. So this is, I'm literally watching mob rule take over. You guys, it is the, it is April. We, Inauguration day was January 20th. We've been in this presidency for like 20 minutes and already we're seeing democracy come in full force. And I I hate to even say that because that is a word that sounds more fair. What we're seeing is mob rule. We're seeing those minority protections be eliminated. We're seeing um, the sanctity, uh, the sovereignty of states being eliminated or being attempted to be eliminated. And there's one person right now, there's one person who is saying, "Uh -uh, this is not the way that we should do it. The Constitution is a slow document. We do not need to rush to make laws that will change the face of our country forever and ever. There's a reason why things were put in place the way that they were put in place. There's, There's a reason why things work the way they work. Let's not mess it up. And this is Joe Manchin. And he is saying, I've been in the minority. And I've watched people come to their demise seeking power, overreaching. I've watched it, you know, destroy people. This is, uh, um, I'm paraphrasing some of his answers in a recent CNN interview. And I want to say, I want to quote him directly here. He said, January 6th changed me. January 6th changed me. I never thought in my life, I never read in history books to where our form of government has been attacked at our seat of government, which is Washington, D.C., at our capital, by our own people, Manchin said. So something told me, wait a minute, pause, hit the pause button. Something's wrong. You can't have this many people split to where they want to go to war with each other. This is, that was a direct quote from Joe Manchin. You hear my dogs barking in the background. (laughs) He He says, pause, hold the phone. Instead of January 6th being a moment of, those people are evil. Those people are uh, domestic terrorists. Those people are need to be charged with sedition. We need to act like this is the craziest thing that has ever happened. And these people are absolute terrorists and white supremacists and every other thing. Maybe we need to take a pause, as Joe Manchin did, and say, why 
is this happening in our country? Why are people so upset, so worked up, so angry? What is going on? We cannot have people so split that this is what is happening in our country. We need to pause and, and reach across the aisle and work on reconciliation between the two parties and not move forward into mob rule. And I want to say thank you, Joe Manchin. Thank you for standing up against your party. Thank you for doing the hard thing. And I'm not trying to you know, say, of course, it makes him more powerful when he's the one that's standing against. He, he now has a lot more political swing when he, uh, because people are going to try to convince him on both sides. People are going to be, Joe Manchin is the seat. He's like, he's like the shadow president, if you will, right now. He has so much power to make things go through or to make things die in the Senate right now because he's come out with this kind of a sentiment that he says, no, I'm not going to eliminate the filibuster. He's holding strong on that. Please, Lord, let him stay in that conviction. I'm, I don't think we should be rushing through these bills. I think we should take a pause. I think we should try to understand why one side of our country is hating on the other side of our country. And you guys, there is a movement right now that makes us feel like and think that people who are not Democrats, the people who are not on um, the far left side of the aisle, but there is a movement to make us feel like there's only a few people who even supported Trump. There's only a few people who even voted for him. I mean, there's very few. They're just such a fringe group, people who supported Trump, people who liked the way that our country was going before, just a small group. You guys, again, this is not about Trump or not. This is about the way that the country was going in the last four years. He got more votes than any other incumbent president ever in the history. That means a seated president who's up for re-election. He got more votes than any other president that was up for re-election. That doesn't tell you that there is a small fringe group of people <laughs> who, are, who are opposing HR1, who are opposing HR5, who are opposing these gun right laws. And this is the school of thought of a few who, are, who happen to be wielding massive amounts of power and authority right this minute. And they're trying to make us feel like most people want things a certain way and that's just not the truth. Most people don't want things this, the way that they're pushing them. So stand strong. And if you feel convicted, and I hope you do, I would love for you to email Joe Manchin. You can just, um, actually, I'll put it in the show notes, how you can reach him and just encourage him and thank him, encourage him for doing the hard thing and for pushing the pause button and for desiring to understand why we're so split and to truly make an effort to try to slow down this legislation and just really come to what is best for the future of our country, not as best, not as what is best for the future of our party right this minute. So thanks guys. I hope that was helpful. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Dear Lord, thank you for this country. Thank you for our forefathers and their brilliant foresight to have created such a powerful document for us that was based in your values and submission to your authority, Lord. I just pray that we are able to maintain that as we move forward as a country, Lord. I pray that we would prioritize that 
and get back to submitting to you, who knows what's best. And you hold the victory, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.